All right, we are week three of this series called Broken People, and there's a lot of broken people in this world. You may have been in the place where you have been broken. I've been in a place where I've been broken. There could be even people broken here right now, whatever you're going through, or listening live or listening later. You could be in a position of of, of brokenness. And so it could be because of maybe a big mistake. You're living with regret. Or could because of um, maybe what others have, have talked about, you know, said about you or done, done to you. And we're actually going to talk about that today. Or could be because of maybe bad circumstances that are just beyond your control. But it just breaks you down and it just, and it just makes you broken. This room is full of broken people. The Bible is full of broken people. But the Bible, God shows us that he loves broken people. Why? Because broken people have a need for God. Think about it. When you have been in the place where you felt you have been broken, what's the first thing you crawl out for? Except for maybe your mama, you know, if she's here on the planet. But you, uh, you cry out to the Lord. Most people do, especially believers. Cry out to the Lord. We have a need for God. And even people who, who don't really know God and, and don't really know how to access him, they just, they just fall on their knees and it just, it's in our nature. And they cry out to God and they plead to God, Lord, help me. If you're there, if you exist, they have a need for God. So God loves broken people. Also, broken people help other broken people. Broken people are much more well-equipped to help people who are in a, broken, in a season of brokenness that is similar to another person who can help them. So broken people help broken people. And then broken people are a trophy of God's grace, of God's grace. He uses stories of brokenness and how he walks through that and redeems that. And then you become a trophy. Your life becomes a trophy of his grace. And others see that. And that is exciting. So if you're broken, bottom line is you can be used by God. You could still have God's plan in your life. God is not done with you. Even though you feel like, oh, I'm, not, I'm just useless. Well, that is not true. Week one, we talked about broken strength, how, how God can even use us when deliberate sin is allowed to linger, and then we confess that sin, like Samson did. Samson's life was filled with pride, and, and then it led to disobedience, and then it went to a third level of self-reliance. Man, when sin enters our life, deliberate sin is what I'm talking about, and that pride, and then we're like, okay, then we have disobedience, we're not following God, God's, God's rules, and and his plans for our life, and then it goes into self-reliance. We think, hey, I can, I can handle this. Well, then we are broken because of that deliberate sin in our life. And God said, God can still use you like he used Samson. And remember, Samson cried out, remember me, remember me, exclamation point. Same thing the thief on the cross said. So it's a simple phrase, simple Two words, remember me, God, and that starts you back. Last week, we talked about broken dreams. We talked about Ruth. Great story of Ruth. It's actually a love story, but really, Ruth had a life of brokenness because she married a a guy, and and, uh, he died, and then her and her mother-in-law ended up um, moving back to to, uh, Bethlehem, and Ruth was was not even an Israelite, so she had a new country, new culture, new language, husband died. I mean, broken dreams. And she finds herself uh, just going in, in a field and just picking up grain, the leftover grain that, that those who were working the field missed. And so 
she finds herself there. But God used her story to help us. us. Because what Ruth shows us is this. Even in the middle of her broken dreams, she was considerate of others. She was considerate of others. She was humble. And then she was obedient to the Lord by not allowing sin to come in into that vulnerable place. Because you and I both know when we are broken and sin comes in, we're very vulnerable to sin when we're in a state of brokenness. And so Ruth did not allow that. And, and actually Boaz did not allow that as well. And I'd encourage you to go, go back and listen to that message. But Ruth shows us that God can use people who have broken dreams. But in the middle of your broken dreams, don't make it about yourself. Be considerate of others. Be humble and be obedient to the Lord. Today's message, we look at how people who have been broken by the hurtful actions or words of others can be made useful to God. Have you ever been, been broken by the actions or words of others? It could be, it could be very hurtful what others could say about you or, or do to you, especially, especially when those people are close to you. Now, the guy who, you know, shows you a certain hand sign in traffic, and you don't know that guy, I mean, you're like, "Mm," then it's gone, right? You don't know that guy. You probably won't see that person ever again, right? But when it's someone who's close, that's when it really, really hurts. When we are covered With these hurtful words or actions, we start to question our usefulness to the Lord. We can even start believing in some of the things that they are saying, even though they are not true. Or think we even deserve these sort of hurtful actions. We, uh, it could even make us want to get even. That's something that sometimes I want to (laughs) do, get even. But that's not God's plan. You know, Broken hearts, which is the title of my sermon today, broken hearts, it can come in many different forms in our, in our culture. It could come from, from a divorce. It can come from false accusation, a wayward child, an angry boss, or even a close friend. And our attention today will be on David. Now, David is known as, a, as the greatest king Israel ever had. And yet he had a broken heart because of the way he was unjustly treated by King Saul. David's response to his brokenness is a great resource for us today. When we follow his examples, we put ourselves in a better position to be used by God. And there are sort of four responses that show David's character that we will look at today. Just four of them. Now, I'm going to be in a wide variety of scripture today. Most of the day, I'm going to be in today's message, I'm going to be in 1 Samuel and 2 Samuel. So if you want to take your copy of God's word, uh, we're going to be in 1 Samuel. Uh, uh, The scripture will be on the screen as well. So we'll be in 1 Samuel uh, chapter 18. Um, You have Joshua, Judges, Ruth, 1 Samuel, 1 2 Samuel. So we're just kind of... We're on a journey, right? We, talk, we went through Joshua, talked about Samson and Judges, talked a little bit about Ruth. Now we're talking about David. Now Samuel, the reason why it's called Samuel is because Samuel 
um, Samuel 1 and 2, he was the last judge of Israel before the king of Saul came on board, and he was the last prophet of, um, uh, of, of Israel. And so, um, in, you know, in that period. So, we are at uh, 1 Samuel, but let me set this up. So, David, David is made famous by his battle with Goliath. Now, how many of you have heard of David and Goliath? Just raise your hand. Okay, it's almost, almost everybody in the room. Okay, if you haven't, I'm sorry. I didn't want to point you out there, but, you know, David and Goliath. And so, he was a teenager when he fought Goliath. And we begin to see the troubles David was going to face from King Saul as we read this in 1 Samuel 18. So look, look at 18, verses 6 through 11. 1 Samuel 18, 6 through 11. When the men were returning home after David had killed the Philistine, that's, that's Goliath, the women came out from all the towns of Israel to meet King Saul. Now, Saul was king, the first king. And they were singing with singing and dancing with joyful songs, with timbrels, tambourines, or lyres, or guitars, or harps. As they danced, they sang, Saul has slain his thousands, and David his tens of thousands. Saul has slain his thousands, and David his tens of thousands. Now, I don't know what kind of song this is. I would imagine have a, some distorted guitar, you know, sort of a rock kind of 80s rock, big hair, you know, kind of thing. Uh, Saul has slain his thousands, and David his tens of thousands. Verse 8, Saul was very angry. This, this refrain or this chorus displeased him greatly. Quote, he quoted this, they have credited David with tens of thousands, he thought, but me with only thousands. I mean, it's like, like a little kid, like a junior high kid. Sorry, junior high kids, but it's true. What more can we get, but what more can he get but the kingdom? I'll just give him the kingdom. And from that time on, Saul kept a close eye on David, right? Close eye on David. The next day, an evil spirit from God, we'll talk about this in a little bit, an evil spirit from God came forcefully on Saul. He was prophesying in his house while David was playing the lyre as he, was, as he usually did. Saul had a spear in his hand and he hurled it, saying to him, I'll pin David to the wall. But David eluded him twice. So David, not only was he kind of a warrior, big time warrior, but he was also a musician. He's like a man's man, a renaissance man. And so, but he would sort of calm Saul's heart because and his spirit because his, maybe he had some anger issues, you know, or, or, or something. But David would play and Saul's anger build up so much and his, his jealousy that he got a spear through it. And the and, and Bible even said he, he threw it twice. And some, some people believe it, it's in the same incidents or, and other biblical scholars say it happened in a different, uh, you know, occasion. But what we do know is this, is that David eluded him twice, and then he stopped coming around. I think that's a good sign, right? Like, if my father-in-law, John Vilar, was, threw a spear at me when I was courting his daughter, I think I would get the message, right? But good thing he didn't. He just fed me good crawfish and jambalaya. So, David, what, what we notice about David is, David didn't deny what was happening. He did not deny what was happening. He stopped showing up at the hurt party. He stopped showing up at this hurt party. 
When your heart is broken from the hurtful words or actions, don't hang around for continued beatings. When you have hurtful words or actions, especially for, for those who are close by, don't keep hanging around for that. As we make excuses and deny our reality, we get stuck in life. We can't move forward because it's too painful. We aren't really healed. We're not easily, we, we're not well during that season. We just kind of go in circle and it's, it's easier to just uh, stay stuck because moving forward might upset the apple cart. But again, we're dealing with people that we know, close people, close friends, family members even. We deny sometimes that there is even a problem or an issue and so we push it in the back of the mind, thinking, no, it's just a season. It'll just go away. And so we sort of deny it. We have the most difficulty acknowledging the hurt when it comes from those who are close to us. We typically hope it will just go away, but it rarely does. So we need to do what David does. Stop denying that there's a problem. Stop hiding it under the rug hiding it behind the door, don't deny that there's a problem. Because there is. And it's okay to talk to people about that. There is. Now, obviously, if there's a spear in their hand, you may not want to talk to them. It's probably why David didn't hang around. But David didn't keep going back. Oh, I'm going to dodge this one, and I'm going to dodge another one. No, he saw the writing on the wall. He's like, I'm out of here. So, David did not deny. As you may recall, David was anointed to be the next king after Saul when he was a young teenager. So we see this. We see the prophet Samuel anoint David. Now we're going to be in 1 Samuel, so go back a couple of chapters, chapter 16. 1 Samuel 16, verse 11. 11 through 13. So he, Samuel, asked Jesse, Jesse was the father of David, and obviously David's brothers. He asked Jesse, are these all the sons you have? There is still the youngest, Jesse answered. He is tending the sheep, Samuel said. Send for him. We will not sit down until he arrives. So he sent for him and had him brought in. He was glowing with health and had a fine appearance and handsome features. Then the Lord said, rise and anoint him. This is the one. So Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him in the presence of his brothers. And from that day on, the spirit of the Lord came powerfully upon David. Samuel then went to Ramah, which is a a town. So the Lord told Samuel, now Saul is king. God didn't really want Saul's king, but the people demanded, we want a king. So God's like, all right, give him Saul. God wanted David. He, his plan was, hey, let's, David's coming up. Let's just wait for him to be the first king. But all right, Saul. And so, but God told Samuel, it's time to anoint the next king. So he went to Jesse's house. He had a lot of sons. Mm, none of these are it. I, I, I don't feel it. I'm not feeling the vibe. I'm not feeling the love. Do you have anybody else? Yeah. He's tending the sheep. In this, in this day, he could be like, he's upstairs cleaning the toilets. 
Yeah, bring the guy cleaning the toilet. Plunger and all. Bring him down here because I need to check out everybody. And obviously he was the one. So we had this sort of anointing of David as the next king. So let's fast forward to after Saul was killed in battle and David was finally anointed king. It says this. Now we're going to 2 Samuel. So we're going to go fast forward big time. 2 Samuel chapter 5 verse 3 through 5. Verse 5, 3 through 5, and it says, When all the elders of Israel had come to King David at Hebron, the king made a covenant with them at Hebron before the Lord, and they anointed David king over Israel. David was 30 years old when he became king, and he reigned 40 years. In Hebron, he reigned over Judah seven years and six months. And in Jerusalem, he reigned over all Israel and Judah for 33 years. 33 years he reigned over. It's interesting that that's the same amount of time that Jesus lived on this earth. So David was anointed king. There was a divided kingdom. You had Judah and you had Israel in the northern kingdom. Judah is the southern kingdom. So uh, the capital of Judah was Hebron and David ruled that. And then the Israelites, you know what? We, uh, we like what David's doing. Let's combine back together again as one united kingdom and David ruled them for 33 years by the blessing of God. But what's really interesting about this, sort of these bookends of the anointed by Samuel and then them calling him their king. So biblical scholars say that David was no older than 15 years old when he was anointed by Samuel and oil was pulled over his head. He was 30 years old when he finally became king. That's a span of 15 years or maybe more. 15 years. What do we see from David? What do we see from David? Now, during that 15 years, understand this. Saul is chasing him. He's, he's spreading false information, trying to kill him for all of those years. And during that time, what does David do? He showed great patience. He showed patience in the middle of the hurt. He did not announce to people that he should be made king. Hey, I'm anointed king. You know, put it on Instagram. Hey, look, Samuel, king, I've got oil, and, and look, I'm king, I'm the next king, right? You need to anoint me. No. He didn't, he didn't do that at all. He was patient through the hurt. He was also patient with the Lord to unfold his plan. Back at our previous point, we read that the next day an evil spirit from God came forcefully on Saul. Remember that? When I said I'll talk about that later. So an evil spirit from the Lord came upon Saul. It's obvious the Lord allowed the spirit to come to life and bring hurt to David. Now, why in the world would God do that? Why would God allow an, an, a spirit, an evil spirit, a hurtful spirit to come upon Saul so he could provide hurt to David? Why would God do that? I, I firmly believe 
It's to begin the process of removing Saul as king of Israel. It was the beginning process of removing Saul as king of Israel. Because remember, God's like, I really don't want that guy. I want this guy. So, all right, I'm going to send an evil spirit, and uh, some of his flaws are going to be are going to be expounded. I mean, they're going to be magnified. And people are going to really understand who this guy really is. And they did. God's plan was to bring his chosen king to the throne while running Saul out of the picture. In order to do that, he had to bring out the worst in Saul to expose who he was. But that meant that someone had to be the receiving end of Saul's unhealthy Character And who was that? That was David. David was on the receiving end. So the reason I'm hanging out here is because I think this is something that can speak to us. It spoke to me as I was preparing this message. It's been my experience that the Lord will allow certain things to happen in order to move people out where he is working or to move people closer to him. He would allow people to sort of freak out or allow certain things to happen so that he can move them out, so he can move forward. We see this in Saul. And then also, he uses that to bring people closer to him. Think about a wayward child. You may have, there may be people here or watching live or, or later that you, you've had a wayward child and, and they've done some things, even said hurtful things to you or done things to you and it's very hurtful and it caused heartache and a broken heart be, because they're close to you. And yet, in the middle of the hurt, what happens a lot of times, maybe not every time, they realize what they've done. And they become broken. And as I said earlier in my introduction, broken people have a greater need for God. And they cry out for God. They cry out for God. But as the parent, it's very hurtful. So parents... If you are in a situation, or those young couples, and you haven't had children yet, it's going to happen. If you have children that are just not doing well, I mean, doing some bad things, is just going off the deep end, and, and you're, you're sort of the, the receiving end of, that, of those hurtful words or those actions, I just want to encourage you, hold on. Hold on. Because that's actually God moving in their life. I know it's hard to see. It's actually God moving in their life. And God moving in your life and your family's life. So I just want you to encourage you to hold on. Be patient. Be patient. So David didn't deny what was happening. He showed patience. And then, let's move on. In the middle of your broken heart, I just want to encourage you. Don't deny. Make sure you show patience. 
But we see another way David responds to the heartache that was unleashed by King Saul. When Saul was chasing David, he had 3,000 men who were pursuing him. And in one particular instant, Saul decided to go inside of a large cave. And the Bible, I mean, no other way to put this. I mean, he went to the cave to use the bathroom, right? And so he went to the restroom there in its cave, a really big cave. It was a, it was a deep cave. And so he, he just imagine he climbed up on, on this ridge and he's in this cave and the men are down, his men are down there, 3,000 men. And so King Saul is there by himself. But what he didn't realize is that David and his men, his men, were hiding deep in the same cave. David's men urged him to go kill Saul while he was preoccupied. That'd be an awful way to die, by the, by the way. If you're picturing that. With Saul's back to the cave, David approached him with a sword and cut off a piece of his robe. Just a corner piece of his robe. Saul didn't realize it. Must have been a pretty long robe. After Saul finished his business and was down the hill from the cave, David appears from the cave and has this conversation with him. We're in 1 Samuel. Go back to 1 Samuel. 24. 1 Samuel 24, verse 8. That David went out of the cave and called out to Saul, My Lord, the king. My Lord, the king. Hear that? I mean, Saul's chasing him with 3,000 men. My Lord, the king. When Saul looked behind him, David bowed and prostrated himself uh, with his face to the ground. He said to Saul, Why do you listen When men say, David is bent on harming you. In other words, why do you believe the people that are saying that I want to kill you? I want to harm you. This day, you have seen with your own eyes how the Lord delivered you into my hands in the cave. Some urged me to kill you, but I spared you. I said, I will not lay my hand on my Lord because he is the Lord's anointed. See, my father, look. At this piece of your robe in my hand, I cut off the corner of your robe, but did not kill you. See that there is nothing in my hand to indicate that I'm guilty of wrongdoing or rebellion. I have not wronged you, but you are hunting me down to take my life. May the Lord judge between you and me. May the Lord avenge the wrongs you have done to me, but my hand will not touch you. Powerful scene. David could have had his guy. But he didn't. Why? Because David showed respect. David showed respect. I mean, you you saw those words. You, You read those words. He showed nothing but respect. He showed respect, not revenge. He showed respect. Not revenge. When people, especially people who are close to you, friends, or you thought maybe they were your friends or your family members, and they say hurtful things to you or do hurtful things to you, the first thing we naturally want to do is we want to get back at them. We want to 
We want to take revenge out on them. But David shows us. Because David's going to be used by God, remember? 15 years later, I mean, he's an ordinary king. He's the greatest king that's ever lived. He's going to be used by God. Instead of, instead of revenge, he chooses respect. I know you're going to want to just get after people who have caused you hurt, who have caused that broken heart. But I want to encourage you. Don't choose revenge. Choose respect. Showing respect to someone who has caused hurt in your life is one of the most difficult things to do. I know this personally. I naturally want to have revenge, but God doesn't honor that. He honors respect. So David shows us, don't deny that the problem exists. Don't think the problem is just going to go away. Show patience. Even though you're hurtful, God is doing something in this. Whatever it is, he is doing something. If, as you trust in him and as you pray and as you get on your knees during the season, I encourage you, if, during the season, be on your knees every day, literally on your knees, and say, Lord, help me through this. Help me be patient. Help me show respect to those people in my life, not revenge. And then the last, I think, is the most difficult. This is the last and fourth one. I think it's the most difficult. We see in the life of David the value of showing forgiveness. Forgiveness. You want to be used by God? (laughs) You got to forgive the people who cause you hurt. Now, that's all over the Bible. But if you want to be used by God, in the way that he really wants you to be used, then you need to forgive. You need to forgive. I want you to notice that what this point doesn't say. It doesn't say forgive and reconcile. I love to see that happen. It's great to reconcile. But trust in developing a relationship takes time. And sometimes reconciliation is impossible. But forgiveness isn't. That doesn't mean that we shouldn't forgive. If reconciliation can't happen between you and the other person, forgiveness can happen. We forgive in order to free ourselves. We forgive in order to free ourselves. When we forgive, we free ourselves from bitterness, anger, and from the desire to seek vengeance on the people who cause us the greatest hurt. That's what forgiveness does. It frees us from wanting to cause vengeance, from bitterness, from anger. Forgiveness is not putting yourself in a position to be hurt again. It is, it is not saying that what happened to you didn't matter or wasn't wrong. Forgiveness is simply releasing the pain and hurt and the situation into God's hand. David was estranged from Saul until Saul finally died. But I honestly believe in all those years 
when David was fleeing, he had dealt with his own self to the degree where he was free and offered forgiveness. He had forgiven Saul. He never reconciled with Saul because Saul died in battle. That never happened. But he, but David offered that forgiveness. We see signs. How do we know? We see signs of this forgiveness. In his long lament to Saul after his death. Now this is just one verse in Samuel 1, 24. But it simply says, this is part of a song that David wrote. And it says, daughters of Israel, weep for Saul. Who clothed you in scarlet and finery. Who adorned your garments with ornaments of gold. In other words, he ruled well in a way that our economy did great things. You, you had more than you ever needed or desired. So daughters of Israel weep for Saul. That shows forgiveness. Another sign of David's forgiveness is when he showed kindness to the only remaining, remaining household of David. He found Mephibosheth, very hard word to say, Mephibosheth, who was one of Saul and Jonathan's relatives, who was lame in his feet. And David brought him to his own house and had him sit around his table. If you remember correctly, a few months ago, uh, in the, the table series that, that I share with you, we had a whole sermon on that. Beautiful story of forgiveness. You know what most kings did to former families? They got rid of them. David, David had every right to either exile him or kill him. Or, but no. David's like, no, no, no. You, you sit at my table. You sit at the king's table. The king's table. What a beautiful display of forgiveness. That's how we know that David forgave Saul. I think David forgave him a long time ago. So, in the middle of David's broken heart, and we know he had to have a broken heart. One thing I haven't even mentioned is Saul's son, Jonathan, who was supposed to be the next heir. David and Jonathan were very, very, very close. And because of the way Saul, his best friend's dad, was treating him, it just broke his heart. So in the middle of a broken heart, don't deny that it's, that it's happening. Show patience. Hang in there. God's behind it. Show respect to those people, and it's very difficult to do. I find it the best to pray for them. That helps you build that respect, and then show forgiveness. David learned an important yet difficult lesson about brokenness. How do we know? There's one verse in Psalm 147. Just look at this real quick. Psalm 147, verse 3. Check out these words. He heals the brokenhearted and binds up their wounds. He heals the brokenhearted. God, God does. He heals the brokenhearted and binds up their wounds. David learned his lesson. What a great lesson about who God was in that 15-year journey. 
No wonder David was man after God's own heart. As I close, I'm going to read part of Psalm 63, 1 through 8. Check out these words from David. Now, these words were written in the middle of all that junk. By the way, when you are in the middle of, of, of junk in your life, of, of, you know, being heartbroken, it's a great time to journal. It's a great time to just write out your feelings because some of the most important, deep parts of your spirit, of your soul, is revealed in that. And you'll go back and like, man, did I write that? Yes, you did. You and your spirit wrote that. But check out what David wrote in the middle of that. Verses 1 through 8. Psalm 63, you, God, are my God. Earnestly I seek you. I thirst for you. My whole being longs for you. In the middle of this junk, in a dry and parched land where there is no water, he's describing what he's in. I have seen you in the sanctuary and beheld your power and your glory. Why? Because your love is better than life. Better than life itself. My lips will glorify you. Doesn't matter what's happening. My lips will glorify you. I will praise you as long as I live. And in your name, I will lift up my hands. You know, when we're in the middle of the junk and we lift up our hands, what is that? That's a sign of surrender. That is a sign of surrender. Lift up our hands. Verse 5, I will be fully satisfied as with the richest of foods, with singing lips, my mouth will praise you. On my bed, I remember you. I think of you through the watches of the night because you are my help. I sing in the shadow of your wings. I cling to you. Your right hand upholds me. What an amazing set of verses. What an amazing song. I can't wait in heaven to say, David, sing me the, the melodies for Psalm 63. Of course, he didn't call it Psalm 63. You know, we men kind of did that. But, but this song, just tell me, sing it for me. The melody has got to be amazing. When you are in that season... Read stuff like this. Write stuff like this. And guess what? God's going to use you. You don't think you can be used because of your brokenness? Yes, you can. You can be used because of your brokenness.